Hello and welcome to David's Politics Show. In today's episode, I want to talk about President Biden's first address to a joint session of Congress, which he delivered last week. I won't go into all the technical details of the policy proposals, but I just want to highlight what I think are some of the key points in terms of trying to understand where the Biden administration is trying to lead the country, including the Democratic Party itself. Now, perhaps the first thing that should be said about these speeches is that they are almost unwatchable in real time in the sense that the almost North Korea-style compulsion to give a standing ovation every 15 seconds, if the president of your party is speaking, is just obnoxious in the extreme. Not to mention the groan-inducing platitudes such as, quote, America is choosing hope over fear, truth over lies, and light over darkness, unquote. Then there's also the fact that President Biden is simply not a charismatic individual. He tends to speak almost in a whisper, and his occasional attempts to wax lyrical about something tend to come off as hackneyed, rehearsed, and generally forced. He's just not a great speaker, and that will never change. Luckily for the US, though, performance is not ultimately what matters. Far more important are his ideas and his policy proposals. And this, incidentally, distinguishes him not only from Trump, who is an actor through and through, but also from Obama, whose politics of spectacle, indeed whose entire persona, had more in common with Trump than many on the left would care to admit. But I'll come back to that point later on. So, which are the points in the speech, in my view, worth highlighting? The speech can basically be boiled down to two assertions. A, government needs to start playing a bigger role in the functioning of the economy, with the implication being that if that doesn't happen, the American body politic is going to become so dysfunctional as to risk collapsing altogether. And B, if government doesn't start rectifying some of the glaring errors in the American system, China will eat our lunch. That, in a nutshell, is what the speech was designed to say, and by and large, it did so quite well, I think. You can tell the Biden team, the Biden team have figured out the right framing because important policy proposals were couched in terms of their advantages for the quote-unquote middle class, that semi-mythical aspirational group in American society. The whole issue of the climate crisis, for instance, was explicitly tied to the promise that greater government action on this issue would create well-paid American jobs. Similarly, the president proposed that his infrastructure plan, called the American Jobs Plan, would feature a Buy American clause, a clear, albeit unspoken nod to the Trump administration's economic nationalism, even though Biden was quick to add that such a clause would not violate any trade treaty. He also emphasized that a lot of these infrastructure jobs would not require a college degree, and crucially, could not be outsourced. So the direction of travel is clear, as is the fact that the Biden administration has quite cleverly pilfered wholesale entire chunks of Trump's political style, what his critics used to call economic populism, often without being able to understand its attraction. The other main thread in Biden's speech, and the subtext throughout all of it, was that if government doesn't start solving some major problems, problems that the private sector cannot solve, or has even actively created and worsened, China is going to displace the U.S. as the preeminent power. It's going to eat their proverbial lunch, possibly dinner too. And of course, he's right about that. The need to rebuild the electrical grid, the fact that college grants would allow students to become cybersecurity and metallurgy specialists, of all things, the fact that it was government-funded research at DARPA, which created the internet, as well as other technologies, All these examples were chosen to drive home the point that the question whether or not the government plays a leading role in the economy has national security implications, not just narrowly economic or commercial ones. As he put it, quote, the rest of the world is not waiting for us, unquote. 
Now, his emphasis on the positive role the government can play in stimulating economic growth will no doubt have been buttressed in many people's minds by the role the federal government has recently played as the check-issuing entity of last resort. And I think there is a growing consensus in the country, even amongst Republicans, that there is some truth to the fact that, as Biden put it, the transcontinental railroad and the interstate highway system were built on the government's initiative. Biden wants the government not only to inject stimulus into the economy in order to build back better, but fundamentally to reset America's perception of the role of government. That is the challenge he has set himself, and that is why his call for a $15 minimum wage is paired to a policy proposal to increase taxes on the wealthiest and on corporations. He even went so far as to slay the golden calf of Republican-slash-conservative ideology for the past 30 years by arguing that trickle-down economics doesn't work, that it was not Wall Street which built the country, but rather the middle class, which was itself built and constituted by unionized labor. All this is smart politics, and notwithstanding the point I made about his not having a drop of charisma in his body, Biden should be commended for trying to seize the moment, grasp the opportunity provided by the COVID crisis, and radically shift the rhetorical and ideological tenor of policy debates in the U.S. This is precisely what Obama signally failed to do after the great financial crisis, when his conservative with a small c instincts led him to repair the damage in the dike as much as possible, then try to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. No surprise then that Obama's favorite policy wonks were the likes of Larry Summers and his protege Tim Geithner. Obama did not view the great financial crisis as an opportunity to reshape the structure of American society, but merely as a crisis to be managed, with a view to stabilizing the system just enough to be able to tweak its ludicrous healthcare system via the introduction of market-based exchanges, aka the Affordable Care Act, or in more partisan language, Obamacare. Biden, on the other hand, is going big, cognizant of the narrowness of the time window at his disposal, tempered only by his fear of losing moderate Democrats, such as Joe Manchin of West Virginia, since he cannot afford to lose even a single Democratic senator's vote. In so doing, Biden is also putting to shame another wing of the Democratic Party, namely its woke underbelly, that amorphous but nonetheless influential amalgam of Twitter, the media, and liberal academy, which, just like Obama, was less interested in substantive change than in rhetorical flourishes, less in consequential policy proposals than in owning and mocking Republicans and conservatives. Perhaps it is precisely Biden's lack of charisma, then, which is what is so refreshingly new about him, and truly radical. Sure, he still gives speeches, after all, he has to. But he knows that speeches are only a means to an end, and his end is not to convince others of his personal virtue, but to actually effect change, not to make vapid pronouncements such as, yes, we can, which is about as meaningful as Brexit means Brexit, but to actually complete the sentence and spell out what we could actually do. Biden, therefore, ultimately represents a triumph of substance over performance, of dull but necessary political action over the mob-exciting titillation of political theater. And that represents a stark break not only with Trump, but with a significant current in American culture, one which was, precisely until Trump, largely the calling card and the ideological preserve of the, of the left, more precisely of the liberal woke left. And that, I think, is where things basically stand at the moment. Biden's true opponent is not really the Republican Party, which is a confused, disheveled mess, but rather the wokeism that masquerades as left politics in the U.S. That is where the true challenge lies, and there is a sense in which Biden will never be able to conclusively win that fight, because he simply doesn't have enough time. Wokeism, after all, is a cultural phenomenon, 
It originated in the 60s and 70s in what were then largely obscure academic sects. Since then, it has trickled down, to coin a phrase, into the mainstream. But that process took a generation to come to pass. The struggle with and against identity politics is likewise itself a generational one. It has begun, but only just. Biden's presidency will influence it, but will not determine its final outcome. Thanks for tuning in to David's Politics Show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Until next time, so long.